0: To Gata Jabru, and you are here with me, the Liza.
1: And I am the kid himself.
0: And we have a special guest with us this evening.
1: We do. So, uh, this week we are going to be talking about uh, the musicality of fish. And to me, I could not think of a better person to talk about uh, the intricacies of music and uh, especially guitar playing uh, than my friend Matt uh matt and i work together at nyu and we uh talk very often about fish and you know just different parts about the the tours that we're going to go see and everything we're going to be doing he also is one of the best guitar players that i've ever had the pleasure of meeting um so matt why don't you uh tell us a little bit a little bit about yourself you know how you got into guitar playing give us a little backstory
2: uh well first of all thanks for having me and um that's very kind of you to say all of these things. So um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, as a kid, I was always into music, into rhythm and drums. I mean, as a very young kid, before I knew anything about anything, I always had sort of an ear and always wanted to, you know, be involved every time I heard music. And um, growing up, music education in schools is not really cool thing to do <laughs> the opposite <laughs> you know, the way the way it's taught in the way that they kind of like present you with options it's not always you know the reality of it never matches sort of what you what you hear what you see what you imagine in your head um uh, so i always wanted to learn the drums when i was a kid because rhythm i think i was just very very drawn to and um in fifth grade when they had like the fifth grade band it was like oh yeah oh you want to learn drums okay here you go here's a pair of sticks here's a book and you know you have to hold the sticks like a marching band like you know between your fingers and hit the pad over and over and over again and after about a month of that i got so bored i was like i want to hit a drum <laughs> <laughs> i want to feel i want to feel it you know because yeah when you get a drum you feel the the sound in the air. When you hit a pad, you don't, it's nothing. It's just, you know. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, long story short, I got really tired of that. And, and then, and then my mom convinced me to kind of pick up the trumpet, which I did for a few years. And then, uh, fast forward to high school, I kind of stopped playing music in the, in the school setting because you had to choose between art and music. And I was like, Oh, I'm more interested in drawing and painting and stuff. So I did that. And then, uh, towards the end of high school, I picked up the guitar cause Over that time, I really got into a lot of, like, classic rock and psychedelic, you know, music, everything from the Dead to Pink Floyd and Zeppelin and the Allman Brothers, and eventually all that led me to fish as well, and um, kind of picked up the guitar when I was about 17 or 18, and... uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly, it was the same for me. I in high school I wanted to play the saxophone and I was told that my hands were too small. So they actually pitched me over to the trumpet. And uh I remember similar thing, like getting in a bunch of different bands in, in high school and got kind of bored. So then I tried to swap over to guitar and they teach you like a string at a time with like you know, classical like notation and you're playing like green sleeves and stuff. And I was like, when am I ever going to play a chord? Like, when am I going to do that? And it was a academia and, and learning instruments is just not, I feel like, well, the way. yeah. I mean,
2: it's, <laughs> a lot of it is structured around, like, uh, a parent is paying for the kid's piano lessons, so they, they want to justify that by having some recital at the end of whatever <laughs> amount of time of the term. So the entire lessons are just based on that end result instead of developing, you know, what what it takes to become a musician, which is, like, you know, obviously technique, developing an ear, developing the ability to read and understand sort of what's happening musically. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, these things aren't, aren't really taught to kids at a young age. I mean, I think some kids just get it. Mm. Um, or they have the right sort of environment in which they can absorb this stuff, and it just kind of makes sense in their brain. Um, so, I don't know, I mean... I hope that that can change at some point, but who knows.
1: So tell me a little bit, like when you were first getting into like guitar playing and like what you're doing, you said you like definitely jumped towards classic rock and stuff. Or was there like a style that you like stuck to or like, was there something like, I know for me, the gateway into playing was blues. Like, I don't know if there's like a specific genre or something like that for you. Yeah, that... I mean, you
2: know, while like, so I kind of picked up the guitar towards the end of high school for a few months, I kind of, you know, messed around on it and, <laughs> I actually put it down for a while because it just seemed to be very overwhelming. Like, I remember just looking down at the fingerboard being like, I, there's too many possibilities. You have all these strings and all these frets. Like, how can somebody ever learn how to navigate this? It just mm. seems like a complete maze and, like, a total – it just was messing with my head. So I put it down for a while and then, uh, you know, picked it back up. You know, went to college freshman year Um kind of stopped playing video games and just, you know, made friends with some other kids who were also guitar players, some of whom were very good, and uh, learned some stuff from them. I, I took some theory classes, so I was kind of learning how to play, and also learning just a little bit about, you know, sort of the language of music and how everything kind of works together, um, and then just kind of became obsessed with it, you know, and just every day for hours and hours, just messing around and, and um, you know, trying to learn more about it, and took some lessons from some, some very good teachers. And, um, and that was it, you know, I mean, the, the music I was into was kind of, like I said, all these guys, um, you know, the classic rock definitely, you know, blues as like, um, I mean, early blues guys. I mean, I got into them through the classic rock guys because that's what they were into,
3: you know?
1: Right. Yeah.
2: I mean, all the guys that, that the Allman brothers were playing and, and, you know, the stones and, Clapton and, and, and Cream and all those guys, they were, they were drawing I mean, especially Zeppelin and it's a whole other conversation is how they, how much they ripped everybody off <laughs> but uh, you know, and then from there I kind of continued to study and, and got into jazz and a lot of funk and groove stuff, you know, through James Brown and Herbie Hancock they were like sort of the gateway for me into jazz because um, you know, funk and R&B has its roots in jazz as well so it was, you know, kind of like the more you, the more I learned about it, the more there was to absorb. The more my ear kind of developed to be able to listen to to, to different sounding stuff, and um, and got more into more complicated music that way. Because when I was a teenager, like I couldn't listen to jazz. It was just like too much. It's too abstract. It was too like I don't understand what's going on. It's just a lot of notes, and it sounds weird. You know, I yeah, remember. I feel
1: the same way. Yeah, it's hard to keep your attention when a lot of stuff is moving. Right, and when so I many was, moving parts.
2: I mean, when I was like 16, 17, I was you know really into the Dead. I was going to Dead shows. This is like you know early mid '90s, and uh, obviously, Branford Marsalis sat in with them a bunch. So I remember like checking out a couple of Branford CDs and just being like, "What is this?" <laughs> you know? like, yeah, I couldn't. It was really hard to kind of get into it because I just didn't have the ear for it and. Mm. You know it's 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 really like a language the more you listen to it the more you sort of understand it the more it makes sense and um i think you to kind of take this conversation full circle back to fish it's like it's like that with fish too you know because a lot of their music especially their early stuff which i i, I gravitate more towards it has like all these really interesting sort of intricacies to it—the way it's composed, the way it's written, the way there are like these odd time meters that kind of come and go, uh, the way they kind of work tension and release and dynamics—all these sort of compositional tools that you learn if you're studying music in a formal sense, like they incorporated into their music. Um, but they also had this amazing fun kind of jam element to it as well, this sort of you know spontaneous element to it.
1: And just to put myself on a timeline from what we're talking about, it's just like the fish and, and like the dead and like that more like classic rock feel that happened before you even like really got your deep dive into guitar like before. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was listening to that stuff. I was a young you know, kid, you know, experimenting with the things you experiment with <laughs> in high school, you know, partying and having fun and, and, you know, kind of connecting to the music in that sort of state of mind, you know, so, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a spiritual thing, you know? I mean, I think some people, when you say that, they kind of immediately dismiss it. But for me, that was sort of how I connected to it, you know? I felt like it was a way to connect to something bigger, you know? Um, so, in a lot of ways, playing guitar is is the same thing, but just on a different level.
1: Yeah. So, again, uh, walk. I, I know one of the things that we wanted to talk about for uh, for having you here is uh, how you kind of got into fish. I know it was one of the to me one of the most interesting stories uh as you were describing your first couple shows just most people when they see uh when they see fish they either have to be convinced or they're just sold on it right away and they just you know they kind of just go and i feel like uh, last week we had uh, J3PO on the show and he was very much just like it was his favorite band since he was 12 years what 12 years old 13 years old and for you it just seems like there was so much other stuff going on and you kind of like Fell into them, and then um just to kind of go into it, like you know you, you saw them three times in a row, a couple of days apart. It was like a very like quick introduction into it, and it seems like it was you know right before you kind of even went deep diving into guitar, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about you know your first couple shows and like how it influenced you and you know with the music you were listening to at the time yeah, I mean, I had been checking them out
2: for you know probably six months or so before I actually Went to see them live. Um, you know, just friends of mine had had seen them once or twice. And, you know, this is back when people had tapes and CDs. And, you know, mm. we would drive around and they would put on some bootlegs or, you know, whatever recordings they had up to that point. We are talking, this is like 93, 94. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, and Fish was still kind of on the up and up at that point. I mean, they were not a household name. They were like they were the band that everyone's like, oh, if you're into the dead, look, check out fish. You know, that was kind of, I mean, that's probably how I initially heard of them was like somebody's older brother was like, oh, you guys are going to dead shows. Oh, have you heard of fish? You know, cause mm. that was sort of like people who were, I guess in the know, they sort of equated those scenes to be very similar, which they are, of course they're not the same, but they are, they are very similar to each other. Mm. Um, so I was already kind of checking out their music I and mean, I didn't know, obviously know all of their catalog, but I knew like, you know, two or three of their records, you know, and I had, uh, I had Hunter, which was the first one that I had. And then I probably, somebody made a tape of like, you know, Rift and picture of nectar or something. And I think that's when that was the year that hoist came out. And, uh, I had a couple of bootlegs, you know, a couple of tapes that,
1: of actual shows like live shows, yeah yeah, 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 that's awesome. And that
2: was like, you know, that was the thing at the time. You know, the same thing with with dead shows was, you know, that they let the they let tapers come, and there was a whole network of people. Like, you know, it wasn't online yet, so you had to like find people. People were doing st- this through the mail. Like, there was like there were like newsletters, um, and like people had classified ads in the back. Like, <laughs> I have this many hundreds or thousands of hours of tapes, like send me a letter and I'll send you my list. You send me your list and we'll see if we can trade. And it was like, people were hardcore about it. They were like, you have to use this type of like Maxell XL2 blank tape, like high bias <laughs> tape, because we have to keep the quality. You know, every time you make a copy of something, you lose a generation. So it, it, the, 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 the quality of the tape, Degrades. I mean, this doesn't even exist anymore. You know, but yeah. it's just so funny even thinking about it because this we're was a thing. You know, when you were sixteen, it was like, oh man, this guy has like a first generation of like Cornell five eight seventy seven. Man, holy shit! Like, I got i got i got to trade tapes with him. You know, and like he would wait like three weeks. You know, you would send somebody blanks, and they would copy them and send them back to you. And you know, it'd be the most exciting thing. You'd get home from school one day and you'd have a little padded envelope in your mail, you know, with like four new tapes in it.
1: Were there like certain like friends cars that you could not play the tapes in? Cause
2: uh, for fear of
1: the tape getting eaten and st- uh, I mean, it was, <laughs> do not tread. It on was kind of t- cool
2: because like, yeah, but you know, like my friend, a couple friends of mine had different guys that they would trade with. And I had a guy that I would trade with. So this was like, it, a sort of a really like low rent version of the internet, you know, where like, this is a network, you know, of people doing this stuff and, I mean, the dead had this kind of a thing going on for years Mm. at that point. And I think the fish scene kind of grew out of that, you know, because a lot of the same people were going to the shows. Mm. So, you know, they kind of, that was a way for them to sort of spread their sound around in this sort of underground kind of way, Um, which, you know, nowadays that's, that's kind of how social media works, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of like hyper, hyper, in hyperspace or hyperspeed, sped up where something can go viral, you know, 30 seconds after it's posted, you know. But uh, it, it's an interesting kind of study, you know, in, like, how how you can kind of branch out, you know. And this is something that, you know, people weren't paying money for it. It was just, like...
1: Yeah, just trading on, you <clears> know, Pay the free... money for
2: your blank tapes and for postage and for postage back. And people were just doing it because they were passionate about it.
1: That uh, is that, like, kind of how you got into your first show? Like, you just were kind of hang out with friends and they had tapes of the of you know this band fish and then all of a sudden you're just like oh we you know they're playing close like let's go see them
2: yeah like, i mean we, well, we were all into and we were all into music you know we were already like i the first dead show i saw was in 93 so this was i was already like you know i went to see uh, maybe five or six shows in 93 between spring summer and fall tour because they were i grew up outside new york city and they were kind of always hitting new york you know between their different tours in the summer they would do giant stadium and they always did a a run at the garden in the fall. And I think I saw them at Nassau in the spring. I mean, I was 15 years old. <laughs> like, That's still awesome. Somehow my mother let me go. And I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I'm thankful for that, but, uh, you know, um, what was I saying? Yeah. I mean, it was just, uh, the way that the sound kind of was spreading, you know, it was definitely underground. Mm. Um, so I was kind of tapped into that. I mean, uh, you know, every now and then you would hear something on the radio, but not, not that often. I mean, when Hoist came out, they were trying to be more radio friendly and sometimes you would hear a commercial on the radio for like their shows, you know,
1: I was going to say, I could not imagine hearing fish on like general radio. I don't feel like that really. Every now and
2: then, you know, at that time, because they were assigned to a major label and, you know, Mm. major labels want to make money. So that was that was their game. Yeah. Um I mean I remember like very clearly being in like the mall one day at like a Spencer Gifts or something and mm. like playing on the radio in the store was like an advertisement for Fish's summer tour, you know? Mm. Like I remember they were playing a bunch of songs in the background and the guys like Fish Jones Beach, you know. And, like, <laughs> Be there, you know. I mean, it's just uh so that I mean that's kind of how things were we're done back then, you know? Like, it seems like, you know, a lifetime ago. <laughs> well, let's before talk, inter- I mean. Life before the internet, you know, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's it's a very interesting part, I think, of fish culture is that, like, idea of, you know, people were doing this just out of sheer love of the music, and now, you know, you have people upset that, they can't. Other than Fish Tracks and Fish In, um, they have their own app now where you you used to be able to uh, take your barcode from your tickets and download the music, and now they're making you pay for a service to do so. And there are the, the you know those. Classic fans who are just like this is outrageous. I can still just trade the tape, or I can still just do this. Yeah. Like it's yeah. silly that I even have to pay for an app. And yeah. I mean, I I know a couple of people who have the app and like it that way. I mean, that you get the the soundboard mixes, you get the perfect quality, yeah. and, the, and and some people are still going for that. And uh, you know, people are now paying for Spotify and and Apple Music and all these things. It's just like you got people who are just doing it just for fish.
2: Yeah, um, I mean that's that's kind of how music consumption has evolved, you know, in yeah. in recent years. Um I mean I loved the fact that you could download after a show you could just, you know, use your barcode and like cuz I you know, at at one point in my life I was collecting tons of tapes and then, you know, it just it got to be like I just wasn't listening to them anymore. So mm. I decided, <clears throat> you know, well, I'm only going to collect the ones of the shows I go to cuz I it's like I just want to be able to go back and listen and, like...
1: Re-experience, yeah, I'm the same way. Other yeah. kinds
2: of music, and there's just not enough time in the day to listen to Fish only, you know, I'll go through phases where I listen to them a lot, but, you know, it's... Um, I was kind of bummed when they when they stopped doing that, because, I mean, I'm probably not going to spend 10 bucks for a show that I went to, just because, you know... But I get it. You know, you want to monetize it. And, and, and they have stepped up that game of, like, documenting their shows where you get this really amazing sounding mix, you know. Mm. I mean, they have a whole team of people, you know, truck recording it, putting it out literally four hours later. You know? Yeah. So, overnight. So, I, I mean, overnight. I get it. Like, you know, there's a cost involved in that from the business standpoint, and I'm sure that, you know, people who, who download the show after they go to it are just sharing that with their friends and People aren't actually paying for it. You know? <laughs> yeah. The people who aren't going to the show are probably not really paying for them in the, in that in that context. So
1: So yeah, so I one thing I definitely wanna move us into is talking about your first three shows in uh ninety-four, summer of ninety four. Um the three shows that we're talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, is seven uh two ninety-four in Homedale, New Jersey, PNC Bank Art Center. It mm-hmm. uh, was called Garden State Art Center at, <laughs> at the, time. the time. I remember. The <laughs> uh, L- uh, Lizzo grew up in uh, Red Bank, so very, very, yeah, very close right to there. there. Uh, and then you have 713 1994 Big Birch Concert Pavilion in Patterson, New York. Mm-hmm. And then we have 715 1994, the Jones Beach Amphitheater, also in Wontog, New York. Correct. <laughs> awesome. And then... Um, I remember uh, just discussing leading up to the podcast and, you know, asking you to to be on here. Uh, we talked about 7-2-1994, um, your first show. And um, I just want you to talk a little bit about it because I thought it was really interesting. Obviously, Liz and I go back and we listen to all these shows before we have you on. And and I love 7-2-1994. I was... Uh, joking around um, with J3PO, and I was just like this, you know, you have a 15-minute to fight a sky that was, like, insane. I'm like, that's only song two in set one. Like, there's so much stuff going on. You got that weird, like, in and out of tweezer that was going on through the whole first set, which ended with a tweezer reprise to end the first set, which is... Yeah, it's not something that they usually do, right? Yeah, it was just insane. not, not, you know... 2001 to open set two, which was not even 2001 at that point. It's also, uh, it's also Sparch uh, Zathura.
2: Well, you um, know what that is, right? It's I'd... a Richard Strauss composition that yeah. from the movie 2001. Mm. And that, what that is is the German translation of Thus Spoke, thus spoke Zarathustra. <laughs> Zarathustra, which I think is some reference to God or something. But that's uh, Richard Strauss, the original uh, German... Classical composer from whenever he wrote it, I think it was like late 1800s or something like that. But wow, yeah. So that's what they were calling it in the set list because that's what yeah. it was. And actually, the Fish version is a cover of this Brazilian guy Yumir uh, Deodato. He's a Brazilian keyboard player who won a Grammy for his version of this in like the early 70s. Oh wow! And Fish's version <laughs> is basically a cover of that. Huh. So check that out by Deodato D E O D A T O. He's a Brazilian. Uh, Keyboard player, really some really cool funky stuff like like the C.T.I. type, like early seventies jazz funk, um, which obviously they were they were into. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think a lot of Fishmans probably don't know that, like the connection there. But that's kind of
1: that's still really nice. cool. I mean, super cool. <laughs> I mean, you, uh, Lizzie, you brought up uh, when we were listening. What, I, what was it? We were listening to Cabal um, Groove, and we found like the original like Trey explaining where it came from. And you sure. were joking with me that I was like, oh, once you hear that the song it's from, you're never on to hear it. So now I'm really excited to go listen to that and just be like, oh, now I'm going to like figure out where it came from. And uh, I already forgot the song. but I do
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear it in my mind, but I can't think of it. <laughs> so do you, do you recall your first string of shows very clearly? I mean, <laughs> some,
2: some of it. Yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> it's like 23 plus years ago. So, right, right. um, you know, I mean, I remember it the same way you remember things that are from a long time ago. So, sure. uh I mean, I remember the weather was nice. It was the summer. You know, the weather was nice at all three three shows. Um, I remember on the first show, we didn't. I went with two friends, and neither none of us had tickets. We just drove down. It was like a Saturday, so we drove down from where we grew up, which is in Nyack, New York, about a half hour north of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And uh we went down kind of early and like we kind of just were doing the whole like figure in the air thing and I was like, why don't we uh why don't we sort of walk down the string of cars that are rolling in? Because obviously if people have extra tickets, that's like you're getting the first first dibs on them before they sure. get out of their car. Mm. So the three of us are doing that and and like there's a couple, a guy and a girl in a car, and they're like, Yeah, yeah, we, we, we got we have two extras, get in. So we, we get in the car with them, they sell us their extras for twenty bucks. And they're, like, 15th row in the pavilion, you know, like, 15th row center in the pavilion. What? Um, and so so our other friend still had to find a ticket, so he found one, like, a lawn seat, and we stubbed them down. And the three of us hung out with these two awesome people the whole night and just, you know, that was that was one very clear thing I remember. And actually, it's funny. I said, oh, yeah, it was, the weather was nice, but I remember walking in, and it downpoured, like, while people were trying to to walk in. Like, it just skies opened up for like 10 minutes and then, you know, and then the sun came out. So it was like a quick, like cleansing of, of the air. And it probably like needed it things off. It was like one of those humid, you know, July, early July days. But yeah, I mean, I remember like a lot of the songs they played, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know Mike's song at that point. Um, I mean, 2001, I obviously recognized the melody, but I didn't know that version of it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> there were probably a few other tunes that I had never heard. I think they they did that like. Um...
1: You got that Gamehenge tune. You got a McGrup in the, right, the and yeah. watchful. I didn't know that either. Which is the summation of Gamehenge, yeah. which which is pretty awesome. Did you, yeah. Because
0: you had listened to tapes before, did you have just like a general idea of what to expect when you show up to the show? Yeah, I mean, you knew, you knew they, know, they were gonna I play like... two sets. You kind yeah. of knew the, the I mean, vibe. Was... You knew kind of the out. You know the layout. Yeah, the okay. kind
2: of format. I mean. The, the the Dead end Fish format is similar in, right. that, in that sense where sure. they do two sets. There's not an opening band. Sure. There's just a lot of people partying. It's sure. kind of like anything goes, right. you know, which, mm. you know, when you're 16 and 17 and you're just like forming your worldview is like an amazing thing because it's just all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, like the world is not this little bubble that I've grown up in, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's yeah. That, sure. this whole sure. other counterculture out there. Right. To to experience and you know having that tied to this music that I was really into, it was really like you know kind of like hanging out with a circus you know and just, <laughs> just like you know this is this is amazing.
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: so I I I want to move us into seven thirteen ninety four. So now it's what five days later they've gone they've played like they're up in Canada then they like sneak like snake their way back down and now they're playing in Patterson New York. And I just really want you to tell us the story of, uh, you know, getting there. And like, this is again, another amazing, you know, to me, you can tell a fish show is great when they've gone back and remastered even like the, the weird recordings. It's a little, uh, what is it? The SBD uh, logo next to it in fish uh, tracks <laughs> where they've, you know, done the best they can to, to go through it. And, uh, Just real quick to to put it out there, just the set list. It was Buried Alive, Poor Heart, Sample in a Jar, Foam, The Mango Song, Down with Disease, Fee, It's Ice, Fast Enough for You, I Didn't Know, Split Open and Melt, Set 2 is Possum, Cavern, Wilson, uh, Cavern, NICU, Tweezer, Julius, Tweezer, Big Black Furry Creature from Mars, Back in the Tweezer, Mound, Slave to the Traffic Light, and Susie Greenberg. Encore is My Sweet One and Tweezer Reprise. Uh I, like, read that set list, and I go, well, that's... If I had been there, it's the greatest show I probably would have ever seen. Well,
3: yeah. And, I <laughs> like... mean,
2: that show was just complete insanity. Um, the energy was just, like, out of control. I mean, that was really... like really fell in love with him, like, at that show. I mean, the first show was really great. But, you know, that show was just, like... It was, like, it kind of blew my mind. And the, the funny thing is, I missed three-quarters of the first set. Why is that? Because, <laughs> uh... <laughs> Because my friends and I got lost on the way there and ended up in, like, Waterbury, Connecticut. We went the wrong way on I-84. My friend, you know, this is the days before GPS, and my friend had, like, you know, chicken scratch directions. He he wrote on a piece of paper that, like, the woman in the box office told him because I think we – it was the same thing. Like, we decided to go, you know, a day before the show because there were tickets available, you know.
3: Yeah.
2: And – um I guess this show wasn't really publicized, you know, and the the venue is like this little bunny hill of a ski area in sort of Northern Westchester, um, not far from the Connecticut border passage in New York, I guess it's, it's near like Brewster and sort of that area of Northern Westchester bordering on, uh, Putnam County. Mm. And so, you know, I think, I think I picked him, we picked him mm. up or we, we like, we did some kind of like, like, we all met somewhere in Westchester because somebody was working in Westchester that summer. And then we drove up, and his direction said, like, take 84 to exit 18 or whatever exit it was. Mm-hmm. And so we got on 84 East instead of 84 West because it didn't occur to us that, you know, take 84 West since it's going to be in New York. And when you when you go in 84 East at that point, the exits start at 1 because you cross into Connecticut because <laughs> you're so close to the <laughs> Connecticut border. So we, like, we were probably stoned or something and just weren't paying attention, you know. And then, like, 45 minutes goes by, and we're like, damn, how far do we have to go? You know, I thought this was close. <laughs> and the next thing you know, we're in, like, Waterbury, Connecticut. And and just like, no, we, we definitely need to turn around and go the other way. So <laughs> long story short, we got there uh, a little late. And we were, you know, I remember driving up the, because uh, we, we parked, like, kind of up, on the top of the slope, that's where they were routing all the cars. So we drove in and we could hear the music. And uh, as we were walking down the hill to the show, I remember uh, Fast Enough For You was playing. So we must mm. have gotten there right around when It's Ice was playing or something like that. Yeah. And, and we kind of made our way down. And the, the, it was just the, – the setting was just, it was just really funny because it was like as if it was like set up for a wedding or a bar mitzvah. You know, it was like this like big vinyl tent – um, with a bunch of, like, white folding chairs <laughs> underneath it that were probably, you know, connected to each other with, like, zip ties, you know, where you could just take <laughs> it and, like, and like crazy. you know, fold the chair up and just, like, give it a yank and the zip tie will break off. So <laughs> by the time we got there, it looked like, like a bomb had gone off, you know. Like, there were just chairs everywhere and, like, people were <laughs> sitting wherever they wanted on the floor or not sitting at all. There was not, you know, there were there was no, like –
1: was anybody using think. the chairs? Uh,
2: that's a good question. I'm, I can't remember. Um, it just there was it was like anarchy. There was no, you know, there was no order to it. You know? Um Apparently, I remember like going back to check out the show and like reading some reviews that people who were also there had said like, yeah, people were like. Five minutes into the show, the chairs were all. Just, <laughs> they were like, chairs.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm sure you don't people don't <laughs> need no stinking chairs,
2: you know, and just like taking them and tossing them, you know. And
1: I'm sure people were angry. Like, get these chairs out of the way! I'm trying to watch this band play.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I so mean, it was, it was in like the middle of
1: a
2: field. Well, it's a, I mean, it's a ski a ski area, so okay. it was like a natural. It was the base know, of the mountain. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. And gotcha, like gotcha, you know, gotcha. the the backstage area, I guess, was like the lodge. I mean, I never have never gone skiing there, and you know, in the in the summer, obviously, there's no base of snow there. Sure. So, but you know, the backstage area was like some kind of building, so that that was somewhat close to like the the main road. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah.
3: What, so were, the, it was what just, were the
0: lights like at this point I mean, in time?
1: Was, Ooh, it's early. It's got to be pretty parkany basic. Yeah,
0: right?
2: I mean, it was they, they were good, but it wasn't like you know, it wasn't a spaceship. You know, I mean, it was. There was definitely a guy doing lighting, like interacting with the music, you know, right. like, you know, moving some lights around. Um, but uh, it wasn't, you know, not not what it is today. You know, the technology obviously is also not the same where you have these computer, uh, computer-controlled computer lighting rigs that everything is completely in sync and you can hit one button. And yeah, I mean, at this point, the rigs are happen. moving.
3: <laughs> the rigs themselves yeah, exactly. are moving now at this point. Exactly.
1: Um, <laughs> so a little bit about the the... the I think the reason why... The second you said that, like this show is like the, really the one that like got me into Fish. Um, when I was listening to this set, this, especially set two, um, I think it's the most uh, seamlessness and like mashing between songs that I've ever seen in a single set. I mean, even out of the second song, you you have that um, the Cavern Wilson Cavern, which the Cavern at the beginning is like super short and it's really just a tease, yeah. which then goes into Wilson when you're like, all right, that was kind of cool, but then they end up switching back over yeah, and yeah. then like those tweeze, the in and out of tweeze. It was, it just seems like to, to someone looking at it on the, looking into it from the outside, it seems like it was done on purpose, but when you listen to the show, it doesn't sound like they're doing it no, on purpose.
2: Yeah. And I think that was just sort of the energy of the place. I think, you know, <clears throat> given the fact that like the fans were just kind of like, wow, we're just going to go crazy tonight. I think mm. the band fed off of that and just kind of gave it right back because, I mean, even the possum. You listen to that possum. It's just like insane. Like they just, they just, they kind of, like they're they're kind of like rhythmically all over the place, you know. But it's somehow it, there's like this cohesion to it because they're just they're just like out, you know. They're just like stepping out of the box, and like and revving up the energy. And I think that was just it was like really raw, you know, in that sense. And and that was for me it was just like whoa, these guys are nuts and this is awesome, you know. Like everyone's having such a crazy time because everybody's going crazy. Uh, and, you know, I don't even think they finished possum like in the normal kind of way, but at one point, like they all, yeah. they all like stopped playing and they're all just going, Yee-ha! you know, like screaming. <laughs> and it's just like, like they're, 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 they're egging each other on and the crowd was eating it up, you know? So yeah, I do remember at the end of cavern when they say, whatever you do, take care of your shoes. Somebody threw a pair of red Converse all-stars <laughs> at stage and they were like tied together. You know, <laughs> two two very distinct red convert like high top red converse all stars. Somebody just winged them at the stay. I don't know if they hit anybody, but <laughs> they definitely they were definitely in the air. You know,
3: definitely didn't take care of them. <laughs> I just chucked them. <laughs> all right,
1: and then the the last show that to end your um, your awesome fish sandwich. This is also to me another great show. You have Riff sample in a jar, divided sky gumbo. Foam, uh fee split open and melt, gogi apparatus. Set two is letter to Jimmy Page, David Bowie, uh one of my favorites, bouncing around the room, Reba, it's ice. Uh I can't ever say this right. Your shalom shell zaha. <laughs> Good luck with that one. Dog face boys, Julius, hold up, uh, hold your head up. Setting sail. Uh back into Hold Your Head Up. Runaway Gym, Sleeping Monkey, and Rocky Top are the Encores. Um Again. Talking about these three shows in total, I, again, as new fish fans getting deeper and deeper into fish, the more we do this podcast, some things that kind of stuck out to us was that, you know, it's 1994, there's way less material. We're talking, I think you were saying before, like three or four albums. Um, if I probably had seen these three shows sandwiched that close, I probably would be a little disappointed. There's a couple repeats, but then. Again, that's on paper, black and white. When I go back and listen to these shows, they all—all all three of them—have like this insane, awesome energy, this like uh, aura to them. That as I'm going through, I'm just like, maybe '98 is not the year I should be listening to. Maybe it's '94. Like, it just seems like there's a lot of stuff going on, and uh, it just seems like a vehicle, especially for you, who's kind of you know you're into the dead and classic rock, just kind of like go down this hole of just music that now becomes seamless and an extension and expressionalist and like the, you know, the, the Trey is I, and things that I've read and things I've seen, he's very like melodic and takes his, he plays his guitar to me almost more the way someone plays like a violin and you know, very arpeggiated and um, musically just very intricate and not, that, you know, Santana kind of sticks to a thing and you know, people w- will say that, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan had his, you know, scales that he kind of just like stuck to in the pocket and I'm sure you can say that about any guitarist but it just seems to me like these shows he kind of is going into a place that it's just it's, it's he's dancing around a bunch of stuff, he's like playing super hard, again, I'm, I'm more used to 3.0 Fish where it's pretty structured, pretty standard, the songs are just go in and out the same exact ways that they are known to do. And this stuff is just, like, off the rail. In mm-hmm. Just, like, a whole different place. Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on is just to talk about, I mean, I've seen you, uh, you know, play yourself some of the, the you know, You Enjoy Myself and divided Sky. And these are complicated, crazy guitar parts. And to me, to see him watch him even take that and just go somewhere with it is just, like... A whole nother level of of musicianship that you don't see very often, well, yeah,
2: mm. I mean you know these guys are they're all fantastic musicians, obviously I mean everybody knows that there's no secret there, and at that at this time they were you know they were they had been touring pretty pretty hard for several years, you know, like stepping it up, i mean if you go back and just look at their tour schedule from say like ninety one up until this point ninety four I mean they were hitting the road really hard and not. Not like, you know, three nights in one place, two nights in another. It was like one night in one place, the next night another place, the next night another place, you know, maybe a night off every week, every two weeks, you know. Right. So they were, I mean, they were gigging a lot, and, and I've heard stories that, like, after every show, they were listening to that show. Like, they were studying themselves and being very, very critical of themselves, so they were very they were very committed to, like, being excellent, you know. So I think that, that is definitely reflected in sort of what they what they were doing musically at this time. Um, not to say that, you know, they don't do that anymore or that, like, you know, they're not... They don't criticize themselves or don't, you know... They don't... Um, they, they're not trying to be excellent, you know? Right. But I think, at, you know, at this time also they were they were they were probably very hungry you know like they were trying to prove themselves they were trying to kind of find their way and do their own thing and their their fan base was growing you know they were signed to a major label so they were trying to figure out how to navigate all of that stuff too and you know i mean the dead was still around the dead was kind of the king of that scene and they were kind of like the up and comers so um obviously all of that changed after jerry died in the mid to late 90s but this is this is before that happened so right it's uh it's kind of an interesting time in in that you know when you think about it historically you know in a historical context on their timeline it's it's kind of an interesting way to think to maybe proje- you know definitely projecting but to kind of try to get in their heads a little bit and see kind of you know what are they thinking what how are they feeling on a day-to-day basis like what are, what are they trying to to achieve you know aside from the obvious
3: you know? yeah
0: what so what drew you to them musically Um, well,
2: you know, it's funny. The first time I heard Divided Sky, I was like, wow, you know, because I had heard a few of their songs people had played for me. And I was kind of like, yeah, it's cool. You know, like I was really into the dead at that time and other stuff. And people are like, oh, these guys are like really great musicians, which to me, you know, this is before I started playing, before I really had any kind of like, you know, developed ear, developed palate for like intricacies in music. I just kind of knew what I liked. And. I had heard a few things, and I was like, yeah, it's kind of weird, it's cool, it's kind (laughs) of like, you know, whatever. And um, the first time I heard Divided, um, I remember I was... I had just bought the tape, and I was, like, listening to it in the car. My dad was driving me home, uh, because my dad lived in Manhattan at the time, and he was driving me back to my mom's. I remember, like, driving up the FDR, listening to it with headphones on, and, like, after it got past, like, the main you know kind of fast solo section going into the slow part um i was like man this is awesome and then it then the slow part happened i was like wow this is really really cool like i need to listen to these guys like you know with a more like in tune focus because you know obviously some of the other stuff i had heard i wasn't kind of like drawn to immediately but that really kind of drew me in and um you know i mean it like when you when you take it first at face value, it's like they have weird sometimes these like weird lyrics and stuff <laughs> that doesn't necessarily make sense, um, you know. And and that's like that's what a lot of people listen to when they listen for when they listen to music, you know. For they sure. want to like hear a story. They want to hear you know something that they can relate to. Right. And if you don't have a developed ear for you know melody, harmony, rhythm, all the other sort of things that music is made up of, right. Um, that's that's what you want to latch yourself onto so that you can you can feel something. Mm. Um, I mean, I listen to a lot of instrumental music, and like, you know, I've had a tough time like sharing that with people because they're like, "There's no singer. Like, what am I? Like, what am I listening <laughs> to?" You know? Yeah. So it's you know, that to me just speaks volumes of of like kind of like what you know, you know, your your av- average everyday like music listener wants to hear when they when they're listening to something.
0: For yeah. sure. Yeah. So, so many people I talk to about Fish who are unfamiliar, just peripherally know about them. The first thing they say to me is, man, their music's so wacky. Just so, yeah, too wacky for me. Kind of like you're saying, they want the standard structure, you know, the, the, the way a, a normal song is constructed. Fish is so uh, musically all over the place and, and very, uh, they just do a lot of crazy shit. That that people don't know what to expect. It's very storytelling. Like
1: that's not really like a thing anymore. Like we've hit such a standard of like things are supposed to be a very specific way and structured, such a way that like I don't really hear. I mean, there's so many songs where like, you start listening to, as someone who's now starting to listen to lyrics of Fish and and go down these like deep dives of like I need to understand this song. Um, like for example, our next episode is going to be on Gamehenge. It's just like looking at that lyrically. And just seeing this grandiose like story being told, mm-hmm. I, I feel like music is kind of... And, and, and you were talking a little bit about it before, just the format, how people consume it. Everything is like fast-paced. We need to get this song in. And before the song's even out and off the billboards, the artist has to be producing another song that's going to you know, be just as popular. And it's like, we're consuming at such a faster rate now that people don't... It doesn't feel like pop music is really telling stories anymore.
2: Doesn't well, it isn't because it's, you know, you don't it doesn't have to. I mean, it's like it's just like, well, you know, it's like processed food, you know, I mean. <laughs> yeah, your It doesn't have just... to have nourishment, you know. There's <laughs> just it just has to be something that people can can put on when they're trying to tune out the rest of the world, you know. And I mean, it's it's sad in a lot of ways, but I mean, there's a there's an entire documented history of music that's readily available at literally at your fingertips. <laughs> so, if you know what to look for if you know where to look you know it's out there um it just takes a little bit of effort and i think you know fish fans obviously and the the greater sort of jam community is is made up of thousands of people who who know this and realize it and they take full advantage of it on a a daily basis so Mm. you know there's great music out there you just have to you just kind of have to know where where to get it and hopefully you can share it with people who who may not be so lucky or may not be so informed you know
1: well, speaking of sharing music, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what's coming up and for you musically, and uh, I know there's something going on on February 17th that I want to hear all about. Uh, talk a little bit about that.
2: Uh, well, okay. I, uh, <laughs> I'm just finishing up a recording I've been working on for the last couple of years with um, some just a lot of really, really fantastic musicians, mostly New York guys, you know, friends of mine who have been... Playing with, and uh, I did some collab, some writing collaborations with a couple of different singers. So it's uh, it, there's seven songs on this recording, but I'm calling it Volume One because I have some other songs in the works. But I just wanted to get this done and get it out because mm. at this point it's kind of like, you know, like you said, it's like people are consuming stuff so rapidly that I don't want to take another year or two to do another four or five songs, and like, you know, by the time it's done, it's like old to me, you know, so yeah. I'm really excited about this music, it's it's very horn driven, it's kind of like a, you know, Tower of Power, you know, kind of vibe where there's, you know, a five piece horn section that's layered to sound like nine or ten horns, and, um, you know, some really, really great writing and singing with with uh, this singer named Jonathan Horde and another reggae singer named Rossin Gosi. and uh, a few instrumentals as well. So um, we're doing a release party. The project is called Cartography. Uh, the, the recording is Cartography Volume One, and we're doing a release party right here in Astoria on on February seventeenth at a place called the Let Love Inn, which is a really really cool hang. They have live music there, you know, at least two or three dates a week. Uh, some friends of mine play there every Tuesday, and uh, it's always it's always a good time. So. If you can't make it the 17th, go on a Tuesday. You'll you'll have a great time with the Subtonics.
1: (laughs) I think we're going to be there on the 17th for sure. And uh, we're actually going to take a quick 15 minute break. But during that break, we're going to feature some music from the cartography. And uh, and we'll see you guys in 15 minutes.
4: Inside us, we won't let no bad guys just come and hide us. That is our light and our salvation. Like the sweet Kali, we heal the nation. So, back with Babylon, with your intention. You cannot take out what is given by the people, then, and we got to move. And we just can't catch it. So we got to move, and Babylon must back with. So I got to move, ooh, ooh, and they just can't stop me. No, yeah, we got to groove, ooh, ooh, cause that guy's dead for Say we gon' take it. Sometimes we can't lose, we got to win, we got to win with purpose Nothing comes without a little sweat, my friends, they focus You know what I mean? In the dialogue, there's a light in the fog Trusting yourself in your hand, place the rock Don't be afraid of no in the bus, anything ¡Suscríbete
5: On you, But don't lose track Fix your eyes on your dreams ahead Sometimes the present slaps you But don't turn back Let the wind guide your every step The future makes us all anxious But don't lose track Journey on and find your peace can giant people come to distract you don't lose track think of the joy that waits again strains of light to attract you but don't look back to boy, fear and darkness folks mature
1: Short 15-minute break.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. We're in the beer segment of this podcast, and today we have the luxury of being up in Astoria, Queens. And uh, oh, smells... why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, New York City and the scene and Astoria in terms of, uh, of beer. I don't know about you, Liza, but it's a very t- kitschy your neighborhood to be in, I think, right now.
0: <laughs> I mean, Brooklyn is, too. I mean, you, you live here. How have how, how things changed uh, uh, in the hood I mean, since you've lived here?
1: Yeah. Matt, you've been here for a while now, right?
2: It's well, actually, technically, I don't live in Astoria anymore. As of about six months ago, I moved to Woodside, which is, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump across the tracks. Mm. Um, but I lived in Astoria for close to 12 years prior okay. to that. Um Actually, I li- yeah, I moved into Astoria on New Year's Day, 2006, and left in Jeez. July of 2017. So, 11 and a half years. Wow. Um, and uh, it's definitely changed. I mean, a lot of things are the same, but, you know, you know, just like everywhere else in New York, you, the rents go up, and different businesses can't hang anymore, you know, and, and then other businesses replace them, different types of businesses. Um, I lived in a couple different places in Astoria. One was sort of near the border of Woodside on 46th and Broadway. And then the other was way up uh, on upper Dittmar's area. And in the Dittmar's area changed. You know, I was there the last four years, and it really changed a lot. Uh, In that time, you know, you'd see, like, bodegas closing up and becoming like, you know, high-end coffee shops, you know, um, which uh, I kind of shed a little tear for. And one day, I walked by, and I looked in the window shortly after the coffee shop opened, and
4: you know, they had their windows
2: open and this little like kind of bar where people sit in front of the window and literally it was just like macbook macbook macbook, MacBook. <laughs> like four macbooks sticking up the entire sure. Sure. window sure. and every single person had headphones on <laughs> and i was just like what the f-? you know like, <laughs> it used to be a bodega like yeah. i'm like seriously depressed right now <laughs> uh, so kind of almost like just out of protest i wouldn't buy coffee there because <laughs> it was, you know, it was more expensive than the place half a block away that had been there for, for decades. But, you know, I mean that's kind of par for the course in New York City. It's sort of the way things happen and sometimes it's unfortunate. But what I will say about a story is that uh in light of all like the development going on all over the city, there's some of that happening here, but not a lot, because you really need you need vacant lots for that for things to be torn down and having you know high rise um, real estate developments and there's not really a lot of physical space for that you, you see a lot of that happening in Long Island City, like closer to the Queensboro Bridge, but not a lot in Astoria proper it's still like family owned um, small walk up buildings with you know one or two apartments, and that's kind of it um, so that's in that sense it's good I mean the people who have owned these buildings for for decades um, they're they're cashing in on the sort of rent the rent increases you know i mean i know it's not that simple you have taxes you have everything else that that's going up and up and up but Mm. but at least there's that it's not just a bunch of like you know developers coming in and and like putting up a high rise and selling them to foreign investors who don't even live there and it just drives everybody else out of the neighborhood and it kind of creates this crazy ripple effect which you see elsewhere in the city you see it in manhattan you definitely see it in brooklyn and you know, yeah, for you're sure. Not really seeing that a whole lot in the story. I mean, some people are getting priced out, but um it is and the story is also really big. It's mm. a very large area. I mean, it's probably twice the size of the upper si- upper west side and upper east side combined. When wow. you look at the physical space. So I don't know sure. the actual square mileage, but it's like it's actually pretty big. Like it takes a while to get from one side of the story to the next. I mean, mm. it's definitely like at least a few square miles in You know, it's not not as densely populated, but it's still there's a lot of sort of area, you know, to to cover when you're talking about it.
1: Yeah. So I was actually uh, before the podcast, I was actually over at Astoria Beer and Cheese. And this gentleman walks in and he's with his wife and uh, his wife's father. And he is a buyer for one of the bars that are in the area. I think it was within like a five block radius of a story of beer and cheese. And you know, they're talking beer. I immediately my ears perk up. I start talking beer. Next thing I know, we're having a conversation. Well, how did you get into this? How did you get into that? And he was telling me that as a buyer in this neighborhood, um, he feels like the bars are not really. Up to snuff. There's still a lot of like Budweiser and you know a lot of macros, Coors Light, you know all that stuff in bars. And, and as someone, this is only my second time in Astoria, Queens. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, I always thought of it from an outside perspective of like very beer friendly and very like beer nerdy. You know, you hear about Astoria beer gardens and you know even story of beer and cheese, like these places where people just want really good, uh, craft beer. And he was actually saying the opposite. He was just like, I can't think of, but three or four places on hand where like the beer is really even that good to, to drink. Um, and as someone who's been here for 12 years, like, do you, do you think that that's true? Like, have you seen, I, I would, I would imagine that the beer scene here is very much growing, but he was saying it's far behind, uh, Brooklyn for sure, which which was astounding to me as someone who lives in Brooklyn, and definitely Manhattan. He's like Queens is like the lowest of yeah, well, the boroughs, and I, I hear that, and I'm just like, that's crazy. It's- I mean, you know, Astoria is known for,
2: is more known for you know, restaurants and cafes, and you know, there's obviously a big Greek population here. Mm. Uh, I mean, the beer gardens, the the the. The most, there's a few, actually, there's two beer gardens in Astoria, I think. There might be another one, but there's two that I know of. Um, And the older one is the Bohemia National Hall, which is, like, a Czechoslovakian um, entity. I don't even know what you call it. It's run by, like, it's, like, a Czechoslovakian thing, you know, and you have this bar with this, like, crazy huge backyard, which is always a lot of fun to go to, especially when the weather's nice, great people watching.
0: Soccer games. Um, (laughs) Pre-game for Mets games. It's a great Um, spot.
3: (laughs)
2: But, I mean, it sounds like this guy you're talking about is, like, a huge beer snob. I mean, be sure, yeah. No, no totally, right. totally, sure. totally, but, too. You know, <laughs> So, I mean, like, you want to be able to go to a place and have, like, 30 different craft brews to choose from? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think in the mind of, like, a a normal consumer. Like, that's a lot of different things. If there's something you've never heard of, unless you have, like, a very open mind and you just want to have a bunch of tasting of a bunch of different things, you know. It takes time to get to get the word out about newer newer types of beers you know mm. and it's kind of like it's like wine you know like if you have like a very specific palate for for different kinds of wine, you know you know what you like, but then you can go to a wine store and they don't have anything that you like you know <laughs> so i mean you run when you run a business whether it's a store or a or a bar like you have to sort of cater to you know a wide uh variation of of customers. So I think you are know, always going to see Bud Light and Coors Light and you know whatever other <laughs> whatever other, you know, swill that, you know, some people want to drink but um although I, I mean it's hard to talk about Astoria beer and not talk about Single Cut because there's a brewery right here in Astoria mm. and um,
0: there are a couple breweries that have popped up in Queens in recent times. Yeah, single Cut one. is
2: uh, the original one. I well, they've think. been open, I think, for about maybe five
0: years, I must okay.
2: say. Maybe four, four and a half years. There's a knocking somewhere. <laughs> Can you hear me knocking? <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs>
2: um,
0: Do you make it a point to try to get out there, try I, to visit I, these, you these you spots? Know, it's funny
2: because when I was living in Upper Dimars, I was living like three blocks away. Sure. There. I didn't go there sure. that much. Well, when they first opened, I was playing there a bunch. Um because, you know, a single cut, I don't know if you know this, but the name single cut comes from, like, a guitar body style.
3: So
0: right. So everybody who
2: runs the brewery, they're all musicians.
0: Mm. Their like, tap handles are headstocks, yeah, right? Headstocks. Yeah, headstocks. Yeah, and yeah. all yeah. the
2: names of their beers
0: are, like, guitar. Music, yeah, yeah, like, yeah music-centric. check, yeah. you know, gear references.
1: Sure. Huh, I didn't know um, that. Yep. Huh. Or,
2: like, references to, like, you know, songs and albums and stuff like that. Uh, so they have, like, uh, it's, like, this big warehouse, and they have... Like a whole like stage, it's kind of a weird setup because it's like really high in the warehouse. Um, it's basically the roof of like the bathroom and the office that's, right. that's in there. Yeah, so it's
0: like in the, built up in the rafters. Yeah, so you're basically like barn. a
2: floor above everybody, right. overlooking you know the entire tap room. Hmm. Um, but they have like so I guess you know while they're waiting for their beer to brew, they just kind of <laughs> there and jam out. So they have like drums and amps and stuff and like really nice gear. Like I'm not I'm talking like really nice like.
1: That's not their back line when you play there, is it? No, it is, yeah. Oh, great. my yeah. God. <laughs> um, Generous guys.
2: Yeah, you know, like, so we were doing these, like, Sunday afternoon jazz gems there a few years back, you know. Very once, cool. Twice a month with Very cool. a couple of local Queens guys. Um, and that was actually before I lived, up, lived closer to them. But it was, like, cl- you know, soon after they had opened, you know, I think they were just trying to drive traffic on, you know, on the weekends and stuff. So we were doing, like... Um, just like, it was just like a hang. It wasn't really, you know, like a serious gig or anything. It was just like, let's sure. play some jazz. Okay, sure. Mm.
0: Um, that's cool. So that
2: was fun. And, yeah, and, that's um, great. you know, I, I've kind of known a couple of people who have worked there off and on, you know, I don't know if they're still there cause it's been a while, but you know, I'm definitely a proponent whenever I see one of their, one of their guitar stocks <laughs> uh, on tap at a bar, I'm always like, which one do you have? Because, you know, some of their, some of their brews I really like. Um, so, you know, and, and friends of mine who don't even live in New York anymore, who have tried it, like, because obviously they still have distribution, you know, they're like, yeah, this is great. And I'm like, dude, they're like right down the street from my house.
1: <laughs> so, uh. And for, I mean, for an average commuter to get to single cut, it's a bit of a hike. It's not like right off the N or the, the yeah, M. It's, it's, it's pretty out I there. Mean, from
2: the last stop, the Dittmar stop on the N train, it's still, you know, probably close to a mile. It's probably about half three quarters of a mile away you know you're walking like you know two or three long blocks and then like it's you, you have driveways know, every house <laughs> seven, it's nice It's a nice walk the
0: neighborhood. <laughs> seven
2: <laughs> short blocks you know and um i mean it's up it's it's up near long island sound you know i mean it's like all the way up near the steinway piano factory actually right down the street from the steinway piano factory mm. and when they opened the steinway piano factory gave them an upright wow That's That's crazy. Yeah. I was like, did they just like wheel it down the street? (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) would love love to see that. Like they're just like wheeling this beautiful like $20,000 upright on a dolly down the street, you know, (laughs) potholes and everything.
1: Jeez. (laughs) That's that's really cool. Long Island City is now, I mean, uh, that's not a story obviously, but I mean, there's. LAC? Yeah.
0: Have you been there? LAC Brand Company?
2: I haven't. actually a friend of mine, um, I should mention him because he's an excellent guitar player. His name is Tom Larson. And he has this really cool project called People vs Larson look them up mm. badass you know they play a lot of blues and some classic rock, but they mix it up really well. He plays there I think every sunday
1: they they're really good to uh local talent like yeah. they have a first of all they're set up in terms of like any brewery that I've seen pop up in New York City generally, it's like they're trying to minimize the cost, so the walls are really bare bone or like whatever you could see like them tearing down the studs out of the wall, and the holes are still left behind. LIC is the opposite. They've gone above and beyond. It looks beautiful. Uh, they have, like, I'm pretty sure they have a full back line for bands. You have to, like, book it through, a, like, a, a woman who works just at LIC just for booking bands. So they've gone well above what I would expect a brewery to, to put together for I've, meaning, for... I've
2: been meaning to drop by because he plays there on Sunday afternoons and I've been meaning to drop by because, you know, every time I see him he's like, I'll oh, come by and hang. Because I think he just plays solo. Like, he brings, like, a looping pedal and does a bunch of cool things. That's awesome. Um... I've been meaning to drop by and like you know maybe maybe jam out with them, but it just hasn't happened because
1: I'm running around all the time on Sundays. And yeah, you're filling finishing right. your own project. That's a doing that's all... Sunday stuff, you know all that <laughs> stuff you got to do on Sundays. You know. Well, no more football, so there's way more time. <laughs> Thank you, Eagles. Sorry, that's the only football plug I'll put in there. Great. <laughs> Well, I really quick just want to say I've been talking for two episodes about this beer and misquoting it probably every time I've been drinking it. I'm drinking the Mocha Merlin. It's a coffee-infused oatmeal stout from Firestone. And the reason why I got to call it out real quick is just because porters and stouts are beers that I don't generally drink. And this beer not only is a porter that I enjoy drinking, um, I would drink a whole case of it. If you got me a whole case of this beer it's I would It's
0: a coffee porter at that.
1: Yeah, I know. I hate coffee and I hate chocolate. <laughs> I These I'm are worried. two things that I cannot ingest. I will <laughs> I will throw the what is it? The, what, they what do throw the book at you? Yes. If something bad goes, yeah, I will throw the book at you if you give me that. But this beer I I'm plowing through it very quickly and um mm-hmm. sorry, okay, just have to put that.
2: have to give your dog like <laughs> Medicine for something, and just like put it in peanut butter or like <laughs> piece, a, a of piece of cheese, chicken, or, chicken yep. or
0: something. Yeah, there
2: you so, go. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't eat chocolate or or <laughs> or you know doesn't no. like coffee or chocolate, but no. in beer, it's okay. There, you go. <laughs> there you it's, go. And
1: then again, it, it, we talked a little bit about it. I think it was the episode before we had J. Three P. O. that like anything balanced is always good, and um, it, you, uh, it, it, it kind of just makes you. It kind of throw, I mean, we were talking before about like music and like developing your ears and like becoming a better listener and how sometimes you're just not ready for something. Uh, and the way that you were saying that second show for you was the show that got you into fish. This is the Porter that got me to even think that I could drink a Porter and Firestone. You just knocked this one out of the park. Like I, I, I don't know. I can't stroke their ego any more than I currently am. But, uh, what, Liza? what are you drinking
0: right now? Tell us a little bit about that. I have a Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing IPA. Hate the name, like the beer. It's a <laughs> New England-style IPA, so it's everything you'd expect from a New England-style IPA. Super hazy, very hop-forward, super yeah. aromatic. How's it, I
1: mean, it stinks that we're, uh, we're, we're all cans today since we're on location in Astoria, but um, I'm curious to know what this beer would look like because it's, it's a really West blonde. Coast. I was going to say it's a West Coast... Uh, rendition of a New England IPA, it's probably uh, a little cloudy.
0: You know, definitely, cloudy definitely cloudy. Definitely cloudy. Definitely on Really? See, guys, I, would, see
1: uh. <laughs> <laughs> I would see. I I always think of like when people try to riff on stuff, it kind of blurs to their style too. And I just can't picture Sierra Nevada doing a uh, a hazy anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's probably not, it's probably hazy for them. It's probably not actually t- too hazy. Um, yeah. Ever. I mean, well we, I like the it. Trick is I mean, enough
2: so that you're hazy.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and oh, you just yeah, drink,
1: drink, That's drink, drink enough in. that you throw a red converse at the stage. There you
0: go. <laughs> Take care Take of your, your converses there, I guess. <laughs> Before we uh, head out, are there any cool, like, watering holes or bars that you typically frequent or places that are worth checking out? In Historia, In Queens, yeah, Astoria. Yeah, I mean,
2: there, there are lots of great places in Queens. Um, as I mentioned, for the release party, um, which is happening next weekend, seventeenth of February. Yeah, seventeenth of February. Saturday? Mark your calendars. Saturday, February seventeenth. Got it. Uh, by the way, I should mention there's also going to be a fourteen-piece band. So um, I forgot awesome. to mention that before.
1: That's somewhat significant. That just tickled my earbuds. Um, so that's <laughs> at, at
2: uh, Let Love In, which is is a really awesome bar. Um, it's kind of like I wouldn't call it a dive. But it's just like very simple and just like to the point, and it's really awesome. It's always a good time. They have great DJs there. When they don't have live music, the bartenders are awesome. They make amazing cocktails. If you're into cocktails, totally into cocktails. A good, yeah, yeah. A, good uh, a good beer selection, and they always have a couple good wines uh, on tap as well.
3: Mm, uh, very I myself cool.
2: kind of drink more wine than I do beer these days. Interesting, uh, as huh. I've gotten older, I realized you know.
1: It doesn't make it worse. Weir- I, I feel like the older I get, the less likely I am to drink wine because it already gave me a bad hangover when I was younger.
2: Now I'm that I'm just, getting older, I'm know. just
1: like, don't do it.
2: <laughs> you just have to hydrate yourself and you're fine, you know. That's, you know when you get older, you realize, like, oh, i got to drink water. You know?
1: <laughs> that's the hard yeah. part, though. <laughs> uh,
2: and uh, so the same guy who owns that place also owns this place called The Sparrow, which is across the street from um, the Bohemia National Hall uh, the beer gardens. And that's a really cool spot. Um, they have the same thing. They, they also have food at Sparrow, which is really good. Very cool. And, um, I should also mention a place that, you know, a lot of people know about. It's called Sweet Afton. Um, this, uh, gr- this group has a couple bars in a story. Another one called the Bonnie, Bonnie and Sweet Afton, same group. They have a couple bars around the city. In Manhattan as well. Uh, you know, same thing. It's like a gastro pub, really awesome food. They do live music on Mondays there, which I've played out a few times, and I'm always there on Mondays doing sound. So <laughs> come and hang. It's free. There's really great music happening there every Monday. Uh, we just had Felix Slim last night, this fantastic solo blues player mm. who's from Spain. Oh. But he plays, like, original, like, acoustic ragtime, you know, uh, early blues style, and just kills it just by himself, like hitting the guitar, playing harmonica, kazoo, and singing and all that stuff. Wow. Anyway, uh, that's a great a great spot. Um, I'm trying to think.
0: Yeah, I love us. that all these places offer live music. I was going to say, DJs are yeah. very music-friendly. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean that I mean, there are places like that in Brooklyn, but I just love to, to hear that. That makes the experience a lot more full, I think. And yeah,
1: I was gonna say, as as you know, an awesome musician as you are, like I I feel like your insight. You've never pointed me in the wrong direction when it comes to like you know me being like, hey, you're like if I wanted to listen to this, what should I listen to? Um, if you're just talking in general, just like other spaces around New York City, that kind of just like you gotta go to this place to see live music. I know um, a different project that you're in, uh, you guys are playing Rockwood, uh, was it this Friday? Uh, uh,
2: yeah, the 16th actually, the, the, the night before. The 16th, the next Friday,
1: th- Friday, so next Friday. Not this coming Friday, the next Friday. Uh, I mean, Rockwood's a really great venue. Uh, their stage two is pretty solid. Yeah, Rockwood's
2: pure. great. I mean, they have, the, you know, I, I think they just they have like good quality control in terms of like who they book. Right. Um, so you can go there any night of the week and oftentimes there's no cover. And you'll see, like, three or four different bands, but everybody's, everybody's going to be solid, you know. And if you are into several different kinds of music, you know, there will be lots of things happening. So a lot of singer-songwriters, but they also do R&B and funk and a little bit of jazz sometimes, rock and roll, indie rock, everything. So, you know, and it's all just quality stuff. So, you know, people that are at, that are at the top of their game. Mm. Um, a Thursday night at the lesson at Arlene's Grocery that's always a great hang for like um for hip hop and like freestyle stuff people just doing their thing. In fact, Jonathan who sings on my record he's he's always at the lesson every Thursday and Very some cool. other Nice. Really fantastic musicians I know are involved with that. Um there's also in the works and I I don't know if I'm allowed to say this but I know there's a there's going to be a real a new venue coming popping up uh right down the street from here in um in Long Island City. I'm not sure when if it's gonna be this year or next year. But some guys I know, I don't really want to say much more because I don't know if I'm allowed to. But that's really some I, I guys I know not... are working on a, on a on a fairly large size venue. That's gonna be really awesome. You know, they're they're creating this community around it, which I'm um, I'm excited to be at this point. I'm kind of on the outside of, but I'm excited to get a little more involved because a lot of a lot of guys I know and I play with are involving themselves with it, and it just seems like a really awesome kind of organic artistic thing that that is in the works. So.
1: That's awesome uh, because I don't feel that. like you hear about new live. I, the last one was in, uh, what is it? It's over, it used to be a factory. They just converted it. Um, it's got like the four different bars, the outside. Where the Wild Beers are is hosted there. Uh, do you know the place I'm talking the about? The Well. The Well. And that's like rare. they have like, uh, they have two stages I think now at this point. Um, it's just rare. That's the last one that I can think of that's like a new Live music venue that's opened the last one before that I can't believe I'm saying this. I think it was the Brooklyn Bowl, like oh, I can't
2: Brooklyn, think Brooklyn of very Steel many opened, like I think last year I haven't Steel. Been there. right 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 I forgot
3: about that I have yeah, been yeah.
2: there yet, but I know that's a relatively mm-hmm. new venue I mean, you know it's New York is a tough place for live music, especially if you're from here. It's really difficult to kind of to build a following and to really get momentum so that you can you can draw because there's just. A million and one things happening and you know uh, people get home after working a long day and they don't even want to walk three blocks from their house yeah, alone, yeah like get back on a subway and go to another an hour away literally yeah. take another hour to go somewhere <laughs> to, to to have a social life you know
1: yeah and when, especially 10:30 you know, sometimes that time on a wednesday night like it's yeah, it's it's, mean, it's rough
2: when you're 22 it's a little easier than when you're 32 and you know when you get closer to, to my age, yeah. which, uh, you know all my friends are home with kids, so mm. it's it's not easy to like to 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 build a, a community of, of musicians where people are, can support each other because it's just logistically very difficult. So uh, I'm excited that that this kind of a thing seems to be happening, and you know it'll be interesting to see to see where it goes. Um, I mean, there's there there's no shortage of really fantastic musicians in the city doing really great things and, and you just hope that that uh the support can kind of grow around it, you know, in, in an inorganic way because because uh, you know, people love music and musicians love playing music for people.
0: So <laughs> There you go. I do. One of the reasons love. why I still live in the city <laughs> live in Brooklyn for twelve years now is music. Live music and our access to, to live music. It's great. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, uh, I know for taking us out.
1: Uh, so, if, for those of you listening, uh, one of the first few times that I've seen uh, uh, I've seen Matt uh, play guitar, one of them was a video of him posting himself playing "Divided Sky." Uh, on our way out, is the other video that I've seen him play the entire, uh, basically the entire hard part of "You Enjoy of the intro and um you recommended us playing a live one uh that you enjoy myself which uh i will fact check for next episode but i believe uh it's in the 94 range and we'll, we'll get an exact date on that uh i feel stupid for not even knowing what it is but uh yeah we're gonna end on that so
0: thank you for joining us for this episode of god matt thank you for being a guest it was Thanks great to have so you so
2: much for having me it's been fun
0: chatting music yeah
1: uh, february 17th you got to come out to Astoria.
0: Cool. And we'll Come see you see guys
1: me. next right. time. All right. Thanks. This is the kid himself,
0: and this is the Liza.
1: See you next time. Uh... <laughs> <laughs>